This is Office Hours, the show for sharing experiences and stories in security, risk management, compliance, and audit. Brought to you by Galvanize. Now, here's your host, Dan Zitting. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Office Hours. I'm Dan Zitting. Glad to be back today. And this is going to be the first episode where I'm going to tell one of my own stories, one of my own shared experiences in, in GRC. To do that with me, I have back with me my good friend and co-founder of Office Hours, Mr. Kevin Legere. Hey, Kevin. Hey, Dan. Good to be back. So, Kevin, the story I want to talk about today is the biggest, um, well, financial statement misstatement that I've ever been involved with for a call center outsourcer that I used to uh, used to be a client of mine back in the days when I was actually still a big four auditor. Excellent. I'm excited to learn a little bit more about uh, about the outcomes. Can you set us up a little bit? So what happened was uh, I was a part of the audit team that completed the financial statement audit of this uh, call center outsourcer. So primarily what they did is really big companies would outsource their uh, technical support call in line and things like that to this to this call center provider, and they'd take calls from those big companies, uh, from those big companies' customers, and respond to them with the script and all that sort of thing. And they would charge those customers fundamentally based on how many minutes they spent on the phone uh, with uh, with their with the organization's customers providing support and and those sorts of things. What actually ended up happening was they misbilled and overbilled a number of their very large customers and ended up overstating their revenue by tens of millions of dollars, which in that case is bad enough. But the worst part is, is as the auditor, we missed it. Very interesting. So when the calls would come in, I guess they just they had a database that would track how long the call is. They would use that information to generate bills to the customers. And then I guess something went wrong along the lines and they were uh, inappropriately billing some of their customers. That's foundationally accurate. That's a simplified version of exactly what happened. Um, but at that kind of call scale, the actual volume and complexity is is huge. And so I'll, I'll go through the whole story in a minute, but exactly what you described there is um, ultimately as calls were processed and ended up on bills that came out of the SAP system, as the auditors, we relied on what we assumed to be application controls that were that would say, based on how these calls came in and hit the phone switch and who talked to who, that the those calculations were being done correctly and customers' bills matched what they had contracted. And it turns out that those, and of course, to rely on those application controls, we had to rely had to have effective IT general controls, which we also had tested, and all of that did not operate effectively. So that's how we missed it as the auditor. But the the real fallout it certainly wasn't good for the firm. Uh, but the real fallout was that in fact they'd inf- the company had inflated revenue, and it actually uh, when the 
uh, disclosure came out and the lawsuits began to come, um, the CEO, CFO, and CIO all ended up uh, resigning from their posts. And while the whole situation was never overtly determined to be a fraud, it was assumed to be largely incompetence and error uh, in the way those data warehouses were structured. But I will tell you, um, uh, at the risk of digging up dirt from the past, I, I, I still have my suspicions to this day. Wow, that's a pretty big fallout for, I guess everybody was just making the assumption that the application controls were operating effectively. Uh, when in fact they weren't. And it really reminds me actually of a similar story where uh, maybe we can tell in a future episode um, for an electricity uh, company that uh, provided uh, power to consumers and to organizations. Um, And similarly, uh, we ended up testing some of their application controls and found uh, some interesting results. Yeah, I, metered billing, as, especially where it's enterprise to enterprise metered billing and the contracts are really complicated, I think is a place where these errors can can commonly happen. In this particular case, though, I think one of the mistakes we made was just frankly um, misunderstanding what really um, the quote unquote applications that that provided these application controls really were. So, so here's how it actually would work. A consumer, you or I, has a problem with our cell phone, and so we call 1-800-SUPPORT from from AT&T or whoever. And call would hit this call center's uh, phone switches, and those phone switches capture all kinds of data. Um, how the, the caller... Uh, traverses the call option tree, how the um, how the minutes that the number of minutes the customer's on hold, where it ultimately goes, those sorts of things. And um, the contracts then could be really complex because what happens is, based on how quickly uh, resolution is reached for the call and by virtue of, you know, the call center gets paid for how long that resolution takes but does but gets penalized for how long they they leave customers on hold and those sorts of things. The rules are pretty actually end up fairly complicated and are pretty unique from one customer to the next. Uh, how the contract dictates that the um, how the contract dictates that the customer is billed. So that's the first real complexity is just that the, the contract and the pricing is different from customer to customer. But then the next part that's complicated is, of course, because these call centers exist all over the world to get 24-hour coverage, you may have the same customer being serviced out of, you know, 10 different call centers. And each of those call centers might have, you know, 50 phone switches that are the source of capturing all of this original data. So you have bunch of switches that then data needs to be consolidated out of those and into a effectively a giant system of data warehouses to uh, consolidate and figure up in aggregate what does the what were the what were the metrics around around a given customers uh, interactions and so a big part of the mistake we made was that next step um, the customer had named this system of basically Oracle data warehouses, had given it a name, and we kind of thought of it as an application, but really what it was was a giant custom Oracle data warehouse. And um, 
that is not an especially conducive environment to having effective application controls because you know, fundamentally it's not really an application is the is the 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 retrospective there but long story short it would go through a whole series of transformations and calculations and all kinds of stuff through these through the system of data warehouses and then ultimately be imported into SAP to generate the bills of course that that end up going to the customer so did this customer write all that transformation logic themselves and then the yeah. logic to import it into SAP? Yes. So all of that all of that custom data warehouse work was all done internally by the organization's IT. Um, and I'll tell you it was tens of millions of dollars in in Oracle implementation and huge staff of people that that managed all of that um, and I'll I'll just note that because it becomes more interesting as, as the story um, rolls along a little bit later on but fundamentally what was happening was um, a lot of different things could happen in that set of transformations well because this this data warehousing system had a name that we had considered to be an application. Basically, what we did was we decided uh, for financial statement purposes, relying on these systems would for sure make for a much more um, efficient financial statement audit. And we basically said um, the, the system of data warehousing, the name of that the phone switches and SAP, of course, were all in scope applications for the financial statement audit. And so we did, in fact, test and find effective IT general controls for each of those different, uh, each of those different components and applications. But then, uh, of course, the methodology is is that if IT general controls are effective. You can rely on application controls. And because application controls are automated, you only need to test one. If one works, then you can rely on that test of one because it's the IT general controls that ensure that nothing goes wrong in how that application control is configured or that sort of thing um, to, to do that. So here comes the real mistake and where it, we completely blew it. And uh, I will say I certainly blew it. I had my doubts and misunderstandings when I went into this, um, but I did what I was told. I was a staff to auditor my second year out of school. And what we did was we took one call that came in from a customer. We literally, I literally sat there in the cubicle with the, the support rep who took that call on the phone. I had my little timer and kept track of what they did and what they, uh, how long they were on the phone for. And I traced that one call all the way out of the phone switch through the data warehousing system and all the way onto the bill in, in, uh, in SAP. And since that one call worked, uh, it was an application control and we could rely on it. And needless to say, Kevin, I can feel you grinning in your chair wherever you are because that was one call we tested out of literally hundreds of millions of calls. Yeah, it seems like there's a lot of uh, being someone who works for a company that makes software, um, you maybe want to do a little bit more thorough testing of all those pieces that connect those different uh, applications together. So we didn't do anything wrong, really, according to our global audit methodology. But in reality, it probably was well, obviously, wasn't very well thought through. So what happened was 
uh, some customer complaints surfaced that we heard about that where customers uh, felt that they may have been overbilled. And it ultimately hit our radar because the reason was because the financial statements had already been signed and issued. And um, of course, to get ahead of the problem, we needed to find out what the scale of this was and if we had a material uh, a material misstatement because lots of fallout for the firm in that case. Uh, not to mention, <laughs> lots of fallout for the firm, not to mention that the investing public was misled by the financial statements. So, so what we did was we went back in and basically I had to find a way, I was told to find a way to effectively reconcile what was on the bills with what the contract said should happen and how customers should get billed and the original raw data on the phone switch. That does not sound like a simple problem, especially if every contract with every customer is different. That's right. And they were. And so the lucky thing is, is that it was actually a relatively few number of customers just with each one with a big complex contract. And so effectively what, what we did and what I did, I was told you have until this was on a Monday, I was told you have till Friday to figure out how to do this kind of a reconciliation. And so it was actually my first experience, uh, quite frankly, with ACL analytics. Um, I, it was the, I had this thing installed on my desktop that was called ACL that I had never used. I was told the only way you're going to possibly accomplish this across all of these phone switches in a week is to do something that can, once you do one phone switch, that can automate all the rest of them. Um, and that this was probably the only way it was going to work. So um, we basically slept in the, uh, myself and one other, basically slept in the client's office that week and um, decompose those contracts, figured out how to get the data out of the phone switches um, in chunks that we needed, then um, then deconstruct the contracts into uh, identifying basically what are the rules around how, uh, how the billing works and write those rules into ACL script so that we could... Um, so that we could then uh, create a step-by-step-by-step logic that went from raw phone source data to what the final billing amount should be. And then, of course, uh, compare that against, uh, against the actual invoices. And so that was a massive undertaking. And for what it's worth, I'm still proud to this day that we... Uh, we not only learned how to use ACL, but accomplished that task across, I think it was over 100 phone switches around the world in a week. That's a hefty task for your first experience with ACL analytics. You weren't looking for duplicate payments and running <laughs> a single command. You had to write some serious scripts probably to, to get that done. We did. And so that's the, I, I think that's the power, of course, of, of data analytics or what the, you know, the phrase wasn't even around them, but this was totally robotic process automation. We figured out how to, how to audit one phone switch and basically built a robot that, that then went and did, uh, you know, a hundred others. And, um, 
what we ultimately found then as we reconciled that down to the actual SAP bills, of course, is what I mentioned earlier, um, which uh, said to us uh, that the actual difference was definitely in the range of, of upper tens of millions, which was a very material amount to this particular uh, organization. And we had a problem on our hands. Where exactly were there a multitude of different problems that all added up to that? Or was there one uh, big piece in the puzzle that ended up being um, that ended up being the cause for such a big misstatement? We never, because by doing it this way, we never were um, actually auditing that data warehouse itself. So, because now we're, we're auditing basically to source data and around the box instead of through the box, so to speak. So I never never did find out where specifically in the logic in the data warehouse this was happening, but what it resulted in was customers were systematically misbilled. So it wasn't like, oh, here it was this one of 20 customers got this massive overbilling. It was pretty systematic um, across, you know, the biggest customer had the biggest misbilling, the smallest customer had the smallest misbilling. And to, to you know, to my mind, that it, hard to decipher that would that would um, indicate that um, indicate that perhaps it was a simple mistake somewhere that then applied to everywhere um, but I sort of struggled to buy that when the when the rules by contract were so different for for each customer um, so one might argue that there was an in-state uh, overtly done uh, add some minutes to the bill sort of exercise going on, but I don't know. Um, and, and I shouldn't imply that I do because I never, n- never investigated the fallout there. But the reality was, is that we had to restate. It was a board audit committee level issue for the company. Um, and either way, uh, executives resigned. Yeah. I mean, well, somewhere in that custom black box that was um, in-house built, there were either purpose mistakes or just errors in coding in the transformation of the data from the switch to the warehouse, the warehouse to SAP somewhere down the line, there were some mistakes. And I think that's just a really big learning um, that everyone can take away is don't rely on um, if data is being transformed from one place to another, don't rely on the output. Always try to go <laughs> directly to the source. Directly to the source. And frankly, for all we knew, it could have even been maybe that whole data warehouse exercise was fine. And it wasn't even until it hit the ERP. It could have been something in the ERP configuration um, that that was that was causing it because we reconciled against only um basically the the line items off of invoices at the end um, of the process. So it could have been anywhere. It could have been anywhere in there, really. Um, but uh, but outcome was the same. The outcome was the same, nonetheless. Yeah, I've definitely found those problems as well in a heavily customized SAP environment uh, where someone accidentally multiplies by two. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, were the air quotes on accidentally there also? <laughs> it's uh, maybe I'm just a, an undue skeptic in life, but um, yeah. So that's the that that's the story. But it was an incredible learning in um, in really understanding why why 
the idea of manual um, evaluation of, of compliance or manual evaluation of audit um, was crazy. Uh, I just I, I feel like, uh, of course, automation is so much more uh, so much more critical uh, following an experience like that. But I will also mention that the risk of it sounding like a, a total commercial, given given where this podcast comes from, I suppose it is to some degree. Um, but what that tens of millions of dollars of Oracle implementation did wrong, ACL did right in a matter of a week with, <laughs> with choice. I don't know what, I don't know what the, what my firm paid for our, paid for our ACL licenses, but anomalous in, com- in comparison, right? With a novice user too, it being your first time using the product. Although I'm not sure if some other people on your team maybe helped you out a little bit. Yeah, I wouldn't, um, I certainly wouldn't suggest that you run your business on it, on it like it's a, like it's the infrastructure system, but as it related to, um, actually QAing and validating, uh, the logic that was built across a, uh, a hugely complex enterprise system like that, um, it, incredibly, incredibly, incredibly powerful. And frankly, that was with the, yeah, that was with the version of ACL that there was 15 years ago. <laughs> Yeah, and it seems like a worthwhile investment for almost any business to provide assurance around um, provide assurance around your your financial statements um, to spend. I mean, you are in a very complex situation. I'm sure most people um, reconciling this would be much simpler, um, and to be able to have that kind of low investment of one week's work to provide that level of assurance around uh, the revenue line seems like. Yeah, and and, you know the way we with what where we would focus today in particular. I mean, the real value in it would be if you're being on the company side, right, and saying we have something massively complicated core to our business here. Why would we not create those kind of rules from an assurance perspective and tie those out and have it reconciled every single billing cycle? So you run it and you you run the billing cycle, you run the, you run these scripts, you run this robot that double checks it. And before the bills ever go out, you've checked to make sure um, you, you have this, you check to make sure that the vast majority of your revenue line is accurately um, accurately invoiced every month. I feel like that's another really important point too, is that you run it once and everything is okay. You don't want to just be like, oh, okay, we don't need to look at that again. Because uh, these systems, as we know, will change over time. Maybe a new SKU gets added or a new uh, a custom contract type that wasn't there before. Someone adds right. in some new logic. Um, and then that can throw everything off and cause a bunch of problems. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You have this built out and you can rerun it. You want to make sure that you don't just run it once and say everything's okay. Yeah, and, um, you know, the the other thing I, I just wanted to mention before we before we moved on from this particular topic, though, was the experience there. That was very early in my career. Um, the experience there led to a lot of other work that I've done over the years around specifically around basically what I, you know, metered billing. There's a lot of industries that, that their revenue is based on, on consumption based or, or metered billing. Um, 
this was this was call center and process outsourcing, but certainly the actual telecoms themselves are largely metered billing. Utilities, you were mentioning a, a case with utilities, Kevin, is is metered billing. Um, a lot of what you do in healthcare, even governments, um, is is metered billing or metered taxation. And so um, I think it's a using that same kind of fundamental sort of thinking around how do you reconcile the metering, especially in cases where the rules of what gets metered are not super simple and straightforward. A good example is we're a huge Amazon Web Services customer. Uh, across some 30 different Amazon Web Services that we use that are all metered differently, um, it's a good example of where even for something that seems as simple and straightforward as that is probably a good opportunity to once in a while take a look at and see if it's being, see if the bill we're getting matches what we agreed to uh, in, in, uh, in, in how we're metered. But the um, I, I think as the um, where it's really interesting is um, that's probably an example of of you know the the company being billed in the case of us and and AWS um, that's a that's a, a a good example of finding uh, cost leakage um, a good example where I've seen this uh, Kevin we have a customer that's a, a mega manufacturer I call them a really really big. Uh, manufacturer who do some of the same sort of work where they have contracts with vendors that meter bill them um, for for certain types of services, but ones that they use across you know twenty different independent business units where uh, company X Y Z had globally uh, worked out in order to get economies of scale globally works out okay we we're going to procure a contract for this service or this product this you know this pricing for all of our global subsidiaries but just given the complexity of huge companies um the vendor may not even always realize what all companies they serve that are subsidiaries of that major parent company. And they do the same sort of reconciliation to say, um, this service, when we consume it in all 20 of these different business units, are we getting billed the same in each one? And does that match what the aggregate global contract that procurement uh, the procurement negotiated. And needless to say, um, this particular organization continuously monitors that now uh, and adds, new, every time they add new vendors like this, add it into their continuous monitoring because over the years they found huge dollars where everybody was actually totally doing the right thing. The the um, accounting departments and the, the payables departments of the subsidiary businesses um, was paying exactly what they thought they were supposed to pay and had agreed with the uh, with the provider, not realizing that at global they had a they had volume discounting that that should have applied um, and a great opportunity for for cost recovery. But that's kind of the 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 um, that's kind of the build side. I think where it's even more interesting is if you're the biller or the service provider right because then that's your revenue line right so it, yeah um, it, a lot exactly. more risk there than um maybe finding a few hundred thousand dollars in cost savings um we're talking about people's jobs you talked about ceo cfo cio um all left shortly after um 
So there's a lot more risk there and a lot more at stake when you're talking about your entire revenue line. That's right. There's a lot more risk because, of course, it's the revenue account and it's the most uh, thoroughly reviewed account on the uh, on the financial statements. Um, and and my example was was exactly that, where we are watching for overbilling and financial misstatement. But actually, the majority of cases where I've worked with this uh, in this capacity since are actually the other. Really, what you generally find is the other direction, where um, by by doing the same exact sort of work and these exact same sort of techniques, but doing it trying to get assurance over we're actually getting all of the revenue that we're supposed to be getting um, is actually the, 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 the bigger trouble. Um, and so I'll give you an example of that. One of the, um, uh, another good one that I've, uh, that I, I ran across was a, a, a healthcare provider. So in hospitals um, doing exactly these same kinds of, of techniques, the, they were rendering metered services. You know, you get ex- each time you get an MRI, it costs you know X thousand dollars for that MRI. Um, by uh, basically comparing data from the clinical system, so seeing on the MRI machine how many times did the MRI were MRIs run, comparing it to how many bills did we send out to insurance companies and Medicare and Medicaid for MRIs, there's a whole bunch of revenue missing in the middle, right? Because we're doing all these MRIs that we never actually seem to get billed. And the reason for that is um, one of two things, either the, the procedures provided to patients are just simply miscoded by staff and are coded to the wrong procedure and end up on the bill being too cheap. Um, or, um, there are cases where you see what I call good citizen healthcare workers. So the doctor or the nurse or the whoever, you know, that works in the hospital knows that a particular procedure, uh, somebody doesn't have the insurance for it or they, the copay will be too high or in some, you know, in some other way, the patient is going to bear, um, responsibility for that cost and in an effort to be a good citizen they uh either forget to code or miscode the um the procedure uh for the benefit of the of the patient which um nice to be good citizens but yeah for those who can't see dan right now he just did the uh air quotes again Um, yeah, and it, it actually really reminds me of uh, that experience I alluded to earlier, where I was working uh, for a utilities company that um, they provided power to consumers and to larger organizations. Um, and so it was totally metered billing and their mandates, uh, the auditor's mandate was find more revenue. Um, so the project I helped them on was um, similar to that, where we reconciled um, their billing system and ended up finding several million dollars in unbilled revenue, uh, which is a really um, interesting was a really interesting experience for me. Uh, similar to you, got to work with hundreds of millions of records of meter data coming from all different types of sources. So maybe we'll get into that someday. Um, but a good example how. Um, and that project took us about a week as well, I think five days. Um, so a good example of how some low effort investments can reap some pretty big rewards. Totally. And I'll just throw one more out and, we'll, and then we'll wrap up. But um, I, one of the places that's surprisingly 
good place to do this kind of work too is governments. Um, there's a surprising amount of taxation that's done via metering. So, for example, um, I worked with the Department of Transportation. Um, or actually, it's Department of Motor Vehicles. Sorry, not not uh, Transportation. Department of Motor Vehicles. That based on um, uh, the basically the licensing for Mack trucks, uh, large freight trucks, the number of miles that those large freight trucks drive on the on the highway system. Uh, they're taxed based on that, according to the tax laws in this particular in this particular state, um, and so there's actually in this case a lot of taxation revenue lost because of underreported or misreported or misassessed mileage by these trucks uh, on the road, and so that's another good example where. I highly encourage different government agencies to think about their funding sources um, and reconcile their tax revenue um, through through a similar sort of method. Yeah, and I'm not sure if it's the same in the U.S., but here in Canada, the government's outsourcing a lot more services um, for construction or um, um, for just moving of things from one place to another, et cetera, et cetera. And so you start outsourcing those services and you get billed by the hour. And um, so there's probably some interesting um, opportunities yeah. there as well. On the spending side. Yeah. Back on the build side for sure. So that's it for today, Kevin. Thanks for joining me. And uh, I look forward to seeing you and everybody else on the next round. Thanks for the awesome story, Dan. See you guys next time. Cheers. Thanks for joining us for this week's Office Hours. Make sure to visit wegalvanize.com for free resources to help you deliver better enterprise governance. See you next time.